0: In today's show, we're looking at the Southwest Division from NBA Summer League. Yeah, that's the Spurs. That's the Rockets. So many good prospects to talk about. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free, and we are available on all platforms. So, done two divisions, do a third one now, and it's a big one. It's a Southwest division. Five teams to talk about, so warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks to start things off. A couple of interesting players, a couple of really interesting players on this team, to be honest, but we'll start with AJ Lawson, who was on a two-way for them. He averaged 2.4 steals per game. I am not someone that thinks AJ Lawson's an NBA-caliber rotation player. He's 23, so he's not super old. Played 26 minutes a night, 12 points, 5 rebounds. Shot the ball decently well, except just 25% from three, 50% from the field, 80 from the free throw line. He was an undrafted player two years ago. He's sort of been in and around their system. I don't think there's much there, but I do think there's a lot there with Jaden Hardy. 34 minutes tonight. Across three games, 23 points, five rebounds, three assists, a block, a steal. Unfortunately, those numbers are very much like his G League numbers. 24% from three, 48% from two. He is going to be in a position this year where he's still battling Kyrie, Luca, Josh Green, Tim Hardaway for minutes. I think he probably plays a larger role than he did last season. But we never know what's going to happen with Kyrie and how long he's going to be around. I think Hardy's a very, very good long-term dynasty investment. He just turned 21. He's got the scoring touch there. He's like um, a much better Cam Thomas. Like He can score, but he can do other things. He can defend a little bit better. He can pass a little bit better. He can play a little bit more team ball. The efficiency is going to go back and forward. And I think, you know, we saw a situation where he was tasked again with being like a number one guy and it struggled with 30 usage and 24% three-point shooting. I think he's going to develop into a quality starter, though. We had Mike Miles Jr., who is a two-way guy. He only played 19 minutes tonight. He had a couple of interesting games, but 12 points in 19 minutes is something worth looking at. Four assists. Shot 50% from the field, but only 27% from three. That's a long path for a 6-2 point guard like Miles to get minutes on a team with Luca and Kyrie, and I'm not really sure he's ever a rotation player necessarily, but yeah, a couple of little flashes there that I thought were okay. A lot of people very high on Olivier Maxence Prosper. I thought Omax was okay. He d- I talked about him a couple of days ago, and I misquoted his age, so I apologize. He is 21, so he's not, I, I said he was uh, 22 turning 23, but he's 21. Um, so I do apologize for that level of misinformation that I gave you, uh, not deliberately, of course, um, but Omax is a guy that we we like what he can do. We like the tools. We like the size. We like the, yeah, maybe he can shoot. But again, what we saw from him was just the same sort of thing I thought we saw in college. Really good defense, really good energy, but I'm not really sure about the shooting. 24% from three is not particularly good. 12 points, five rebounds in 25 minutes. Really good at getting to the line, 82%, but only threes per game, so low volume, low percentage, only one assist, and low defensive stats. I don't think there's any chance that Omax is a starter this season, or regularly, outside of injuries. He'll be a rotation guy, and I think his fantasy profile overall is relatively lacking. Again, look at these guys like at Isaac Okoro. Now, he's a much better offensive prospect than Okoro in my mind, but I'm not sure he's as good of a defender. He is bigger, but they don't really pop for fantasy. Could he best-case scenario turn into like a Royce O'Neill for fantasy, which is okay. And he's obviously a bit better prospect than O'Neal because O'Neal was undrafted. Omax is a first-round guy. But I talked to a lot of people online or in person who are super hyped about what Omax can do and bummed that their team didn't pick him up or why have you got him so low. I think the the hype on him, again, he is a third-year college player. who just turned 21. And still probably too raw for a guy with that much experience. And the same sort of stuff, like 12 and 5 in 25 minutes, he's not blowing us away on a team that doesn't have great players. Like Jaden Hardy was there, but we're talking Braxton Key and AJ Lawson and Jordan Walker and who else was playing good minutes. Like Not not a great team. And he didn't really elevate himself. So I wouldn't have said that Prosper, I think he can be a rotation guy. I think he can maybe turn into a Finney Smith or a Reggie Bullock in terms of role for the Mavericks in times to come. But in terms of overall upside and scalability, I'm not really convinced that it's there. And then the last guy to talk about is Derek Lively, the guy that they picked at pick number 12. He's still 19. I think that he has got tremendous fantasy upside because we know what it is when you're a big man, right? It's not hard to get fantasy rankings in category leagues. You can get blocks, you get big field goals. Now, he didn't only add 0.6 blocks, but 68% from the field. You get rebounds and you're there. Could he be a 12 and 10 player with 1.6 blocks on 66% shooting? Sure. Has he got an ability to elevate offensively with a little bit more shooting? I think it's possible. He didn't hit a three in summer league. We thought he might try that. And I also don't think that he's got any shot of being a starter this season. Yes, their center depth is not great, but it's Rashawn Holmes, it's Muxy Kleber, it's Dwight Powell, and most importantly, their coach is Jason Kidd. He's not going to throw a 19-year-old raw rookie to be the starter unless Lively blows this way, and he didn't. It's just not going to happen, I don't think. 23 minutes in Summer League for Lively. They brought him along really slowly. They're going to do it again. He's not going to play every game. He's going to be mixed in and out of things, and injuries might get a role. Now, I still love him for Dynasty. I still think there's really good value, but I don't think we're getting much stuff here. from. Maybe things change. Maybe the preseason changes our mind, and he jumps right up, and kid loves him. I just think we are we are a long way away from seeing Derek Lively have any impact this season. It's just not something that I think is likely to happen. Today's episode is brought to you by Fanjil. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets, up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 that you can spend betting on money lines, on over-unders, on who's going to hit the first home run of the game, on futures, World Series winner. Maybe you want to have a look at the team you think might trade for, Shohei Itani, and bet them for the World Series. You can do that on FanDuel with your bonus bets. It's all on an app that's safe, it's secure, and it's super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Let's talk about the Houston Rockets. Jabari Smith. I talked about this with Dan Titus the other day. And there are many things that can be true. I tweeted out at halftime of the game, the Rockets first game said, oh, Jesus Christ, Jabari Smith looks really bad. Um, I spoke to a Rockets guy who said, yeah, look, it'd take something extraordinary, but Tari Eason does have a chance to unseat him. So I tweeted out, is this this what we're talking about? Because Eason was dominating and Jabari looked terrible. And then straight after that, Jabari Smith went crazy. And made that tweet, while 100% correct, look bad. I wasn't saying that Jabari Smith was terrible forever moving forward. I wasn't saying that he was losing his spot. I was saying that, ooh, if things keep going this way, is there a chance that Tari takes it? Because Smith looks disinterested. And then he went bananas. He averaged 35.5 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 65% true shooting. He only played two games because he was dominating. He was talking shit to James Wiseman continually. He hit the game-winning shot. He did start to step it up towards the end of last season. And with the way, and this is not to say like, that Smith was that much better than Tari Eason, because I'm not sure that he was. But what it does do to me is I get a little bit worried now about new coach Ime Yudoka, because Smith's a good defender, really good defender. And if Alperen Shangun, the delicate dancer. It's a delicate dance in just 17 steps. If he starts to have defensive issues, it's not that I worry that Jock Landau takes his minutes. I worry that it might be Eason and Smith that play the four and the five. Because Tari Eason, I don't know how you hold him back. Smith was a guy that, admittedly, I was way too high in drafting last season, around 80. I thought he could get some nice block numbers and shoot better than, like, dreadful, which is what he was. I think there's a real chance that he is undervalued this season, but also we have to be careful that we know that there's often a big step forward in second-year players, and that can bump their ADPs be very interested to see where he goes. But I would say that if he's not going to carry this level of form, like he had 36 usage, that just has no chance of happening. We have to remember, there's going to be Dylan Brooks jacking up shots. There's going to be Fred Van Vliet. There's going to be Jalen Green. There's going to be Kevin Porter. There's going to be Shingun. Does Smith get any shots at all? He's going to have to be efficient. So while this was great, he was doing everything we needed him to do, There's just no realistic scenario that I can see him being a number one, number two, number three, or even maybe even number four offensive option unless he just starts doing so much more stuff and becomes a self-creator and that seems a long way away. So while this was really impressive, it's in no way indicative, I think, of his regular season performance. Tari Eason was crazy as well. 31 usage, 23, 9.5 and and 4 with three blocks a game in his two games. Didn't shoot well from the line, but shot 36% from three. But I fear that we're in a similar position as last season where we know that Stephen Silas did not want to play him at the three. They just brought Dylan Brooks in to play at the three. Kevin Porter's going to have to get minutes and I'm in Thompson and maybe Cam Whitmore. So where does Eason get minutes? And again, I worry, do they play Smith as a starting power forward and backup center? And that cuts into shang Eason is probably going to be a fantasy draftable guy. But I also worry that he'll play 23, 25 minutes a night in preseason as the other starters played 24. And people will overdraft him, expecting him to play a 26-minute-a-night role off the bench. And I'm not sure that's going to happen. I haven't projected out the Rockets yet. He was awesome. He looked really comfortable shooting and scoring and playing defense and looked too good. And honestly, this team is not good, but Eason would be a starter on so many squads. Imagine Tari Eason playing the three for Cleveland. Well, maybe maybe the, that wouldn't work, cause the shooting. But Playing the four for the Heat. Holy shit, imagine that. He'd be amazing. I love what I saw. I also loved what I saw from Amen Thompson. I think he's talking to you. He only played one game, Amen. Sprained his ankle at the end of that first game against the Blazers. 16-4-5, three steals and four blocks. 46-75 and 75 shooting. Yes, he only took one three and hit it, but he looked ridiculously good. His feel for the game was amazing. His defensive playmaking was amazing. His passing was awesome. His athleticism was insane. His speed was crazy. And the problem is, he's probably going to play 15 minutes a night. He shouldn't. I don't think it'll take anywhere. I think it will take a week and we go, oh yeah, he's actually way better than Kevin Porter and Dylan Brooks already. But Imayu is not going to do that. So I think it's going to be really hard to look at him as a redraft player. Sure, last round you take a flyer because we love the upside. But realistically, it's just not going to happen. I've been told that they're just going to use him as a backup point guard and transition Porter to be a wing that's just not enough for for Thompson to do things. I still hold very firm that I have him at number three in dynasty rankings, even though you won't get huge production immediately. But he did absolutely everything. We saw his numbers from OTE and go, well, these defensive numbers, they're all inflated. Like what's going on here? Is this real? Uh, maybe. Because Assad did the same thing as well. And we don't know. That won't translate to the same level in, in the NBA. But bloody hell, he just looked amazing. And then the last guy that I'm going to talk about out of the main group here is the Summer League MVP, Cam Whitmore. 19 points per game, five rebounds, two assists, which is actually good considering how he plays. Um, But I think that he wasn't really the Summer League MVP. Let me me explain what I mean. He clearly was the Summer League MVP because he's got a trophy to prove it. But I don't think he was anywhere close to the best player through Summer League or the most valuable player. He really started to step up when Smith and Eason and Thompson were all out. His value was buoyed by an eight-steal game. He averaged two and a half steals, but he had eight of those in one game. Um, and he still shot 63 from the line and 29% from three. He was inefficient. He had tunnel vision. He's hyper-athletic. He gets to the rim when he wants, and it was ridiculous that he failed as far as he did, and he only turned 19. He might not play in the rotation for the Rockets to start the season. He might be their 11th man. So while he was good, Again, context is important. Smith, Eason, Thompson were all out when Whitmore started to blow up in Summer League. And finding the minutes behind VanVleet, Green, Brooks, Smith, Shangun, Eason, Thompson, Porter, even Jay Sean Tate, who he shouldn't be behind, but he probably will be, or Jock Landau. I don't know where he plays immediately. Good numbers. Still have him at like 12 in Dynasty Leagues. But there is some concern still with efficiency and, and lack of ability to get to the line as well, which is a concern for someone as strong and athletic as he is. They're two two-way guys both played. Trevor Hudgens is just too small. He looks like Kevin Hart. He's like five foot six. He hit 14.5 points with 6.5 assists. I don't think he's an NBA player. I have no idea why they are keeping him for a second year on a two-way. He's 24. Not, no reason at all for this. And the other guy, Darius Days, who played pretty well in Summer League last year. He's a big man. He didn't block a shot in, what, uh, 100 minutes. 8 points, 5 rebounds on 42%. I think both of those guys are very, very underwhelming as two-way players, and I'm not really sure they're strong prospects at all. Let's go to the Grizzlies. A lot, of rostered, a lot of rostered players here. You've got, what, six rostered guys, plus another draft pick in Tariq Babirovic. Vince Williams was a bit of a draft Twitter darling last season, barely played, had a shoulder injury most of last season as a two-way guy, but I put together some pretty good games for the Grizzlies. Now, again, we always want to look who's on the team because you look at the Rockets and it was Jabari and it was Tari and it was a men. And you look at this team and it's Jacob Gilliard. Like it's not big, uh, big name players. Williams had 14 and eight with one and a half steals. He shot the ball well, 42% from three, which is part of his appeal. He's a good size, he's a wing player. And they need that replacement guy that's probably going to be a mix between Luke Kennard and David Roddy. Who replaces uh replaces him while Jar Moran is out, replaces Dylan Brooks. Williams showed enough there to give you a little bit of interest. Kenny Lofton. He's a favorite of people because people love weird bodies. Shout out to Bol Bowl, who's, yeah seven foot three and weighs two pounds. Or Kenny Lofton, who weighs four hundred pounds. Both of those numbers are clear exaggerations. But we always love weird shit. Love what Lofton does. But I do not think that Kenny Lofton is an NBA rotation player. This is a perfect scenario for him. 18 and 7. He hit two threes on 44%, which is excellent. But he had two steals a game. Excellent. I don't think he's a rotation guy. There are plenty of Grizzlies people who very much believe in him. There are plenty of people just in NBA Twitter or NBA social media overall that really like what Kenny Lofton does. He's upgraded from a two-way last season, but I really don't think that he's that option. Now, this season there is no Brandon Clark for most of the year, so it's going to be Jaron, it's going to be Steve Adams, it's going to be Santiago Dharma, and Lofton might get rotation minutes, but I am absolutely not interested in him as a long-term prospect. Jacob Gilliard is on a two-way; he's like a, a point guardy sort of guy. He he got um, he averaged six and a half assists and two point seven steals, which are excellent numbers. And there's a clear gap there. There's no Ty Jones, there's no Jar Morant for twenty-five games. Marcus Smart's going to be the starting point guard, so Gilliard might play some third-string minutes. Early on in the season, that's possible. I'm not sure to be so excited about it, but he was okay in those numbers. Just if he gets a roll, two threes, seven assists, 2.7 steals, it's useful. Jake LaRavia was a first round pick last season. I thought he was pretty disappointing as a rookie. He was okay here. 18 points in 28 minutes, but shot poorly again. 32 from three, 47 from two. 1.2 blocks is nice. I don't think he's going to have an opportunity to start, but there might be a rotation roll happening there. I'm not... Completely out on La Ravia, but this Summer League plus last season soured me somewhat. And I'm definitely not in on David Roddy. Now, in saying that, actually, let's give him a sound drop. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Now, if I was the Grizzlies, and I'm not, obviously, I would I would start Luke Kennard while we wait for Ja Morant to come back. But all indications indications suggest that David Roddy will start. I think that David Roddy is like an undersized powerful, but they're probably going to start him at the three. He played 28 minutes here. He averaged 13, five, and three with no defensive stats. He shot 40% from the field, 70 from the line, and 26% from three. I think he's going to start, and I don't think he's going to be worth a draftable fantasy spot. And I don't like his long-term, I don't really know what he's going to do well at an NBA level. Nothing about this summer league tells me or gets me excited about Roddy as a long-term starter with good potential. He played six games here. He is 22 already, second-year player. And they're just mediocre numbers when he should have been blowing up if he was actually that level of player. I just, maybe this is a blind spot for me. I just do not believe in David Roddy as a quality NBA starter or even a, Poor quality NBA starter. He's a ninth man, eighth man, best case scenario at best in my mind. Maybe he proves me wrong. I, I just don't see it. I don't get it at all with him. GG Jackson was a guy that I had pretty high on my draft board, um, fell significantly, and now is on a two-way for the Grizzlies. And we saw the problems. 0.9 assists, 10 points, 21 minutes, 37% shooting. Just some really poor decision-making. Uh, With shot selection and passing, he shot, what, 32% from three. He had 25 usage. He can score. He's very young. He's not 19 until Christmas, but it's a long-term process, and he's not on a long-term contract. He's a two-way guy. Now, they will have, like they did with Kenny Lofton last season, there's a chance they can just push him onto a uh, permanent deal towards the end of the season. So I'm still investing in in GG long-term because he is very young, but I feel like it's you know, three years away from him really establishing himself. And it's, it's going to take time to get there. And the last guy is what the most surprising draft picker of the whole draft is Tariq Babirovic. He was I had like 120 players in my draft database. He was not one of them. Um, and he came across, he played 16 minutes and shot 39%, six points, average 0.6 steals. And I don't think he's making the roster. And I don't think that he's someone that we need to care about, unfortunately for Tariq. The New Orleans Pelicans, four guys of import here for us. And the number one thing from watching this team in person is Dyson Daniels is really big. He's super, super tall. And he, as a second round or second year player, yes, lottery pick compared to Laravia and Roddy who were in the you know, 19 or 20 range, wherever they were. Daniels dominated. 15, 7, and 6, 1.8 steals, 1.4 blocks. Now, he didn't shoot well either. 40 from the field, 68 from the line, and 10% from three. This whole Pelicans team could not hit threes at all. But his ability to be disrupted defensively with size and length and to handle the ball and rebound was important. Now, I don't know where he gets the role this season because they've lost nobody, but they also get more Ingram, theoretically, and more Zion, theoretically. So I don't know where he plays. Can he take the backup role ahead of Jose Alvarado? I guess they would like him to do that, but I don't know that that's going to happen. I'm still investing in Daniels long-term for a dynasty perspective. I think we have got, you know, we can see the framework of it here. And these numbers, 15, 7, and 6 with 1.8 steals, is something that I could imagine him averaging in an NBA season. But it's going to come with maybe 40% shooting and 70% from the line. A long way away from that. It's a long way away from being good. And I think he's a, you know, probably a couple of years away from being a starter caliber player. But hopefully, he can push ahead of Alvarado. But don't be surprised if he doesn't. Darian Sebron, a guy that, again, struggled with his shot, 18% from three, but he's an immaculately good driver and finisher, 68% on two, 17.6 rebounds. He's a two-way guy. I don't have as much faith in him as I do with EJ Liddell, who was a two-way player last season. He tore his ACL in Summer League last year. Um, they had him on a two-way, good faith as a second-round pick, and then they have converted him now to a full-time contract. He played 21 minutes, 13 points, shooting, 17% from three, but 65% from two. He was a guy that at Ohio State was able to rack up numbers all across the board. Rebound, scoring, shot well, um, steals and blocks. No real role happening at this point. He's only 22. But in terms of a guy that might slide in behind Zion Williamson, maybe small ball center, maybe long-term. He's a Larry Nance replacement. He's probably more of a four than a five. There was enough little signs there in his first games back from ACL surgery that I was impressed. One of their other second round picks was Carlo Makovic. He's not on the roster. I don't expect him to be. He definitely didn't impress me. Nice shot blocking numbers. But their lottery pick this season is the guy I want to talk about. That's Jordan Hawkins. I did not have Jordan Hawkins as a lottery player. I did not have Jordan Hawkins as a top 20 player. And then, so I, again, we always have to acknowledge what our biases are. So I headed into this going, hmm, I don't think I'm going to like Jordan Hawkins because I didn't like the film of him, how it translated to the NBA. And then I watched the Pelicans play and I went, oh my God, he's tiny. He is, yes, he's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, six, he is skinny. He is an older prospect. He shot very poorly, 25% from three. He averaged 13 points. And I love what he can do, like movement shooting, uh, relocation shooting, always being available, but it didn't go in. And he doesn't really do anything else. The steals were nice, but it's not representative of what he's like as a defender. He struggles there. He doesn't pass, doesn't rebound. He doesn't create his own shot. It was, I think, a waste of a pick in the lottery. He's not even going to play this season. Like, where's his rotation minutes? Is he taking them from CJ, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels, Jose Alvarado, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Larry Nance? Like, no. He is going to be on the Dyson Daniels plan of very limited minutes, and I don't think that he is going to even live up to being a lottery pick because, again, I would not have picked him there. So that nothing that I saw from him in summer league makes me go unlike with the speaker, Keontae George, where I look at it and go, oh, I'm totally wrong on that. I just looked at it and went, yeah, seems about right. I don't really buy much about his game at all, and I think he's a specialist, and it's not going to make much sense for him this season. So, there's some depressing news if you're a Pelicans fan. Well, not it's not news, it's opinion. And you might have a completely different opinion, as many fans do, as the arguments I got into with people on Twitter today about the value of Ayo Sumu from Bulls fans, who love him because he's from Chicago. <laughs> Let's talk about the San Antonio Spurs. So about Victor Wembanyama. Yes, 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 yes. First game from Wembanyama offensively was really bad. Uh, there's no escaping that. He, it, but it was very weird. He was in a situation where the hype was out of control. We had this massive build-up, waiting for that uh, Blazers Rockets game to finish. The crowd was going crazy every time he touched it. So he was forcing a lot offensively, he was trying to do highlight plays and through the league crossovers, um, trying to do all of that. And then there were times in the game where the team would completely ignore him. They would never run a pick and roll with him, even though he's got an eight foot wingspan, never tried to run a pick and roll. They just used him really poorly and the shot didn't go in. But defensively, amazing. He had five blocks in that first game. He averaged four blocks across the two games that he played. And I thought what he was able to do covering ground defensively, like even that Kai Jones alley-oop where he got dunked on, the fact that he was a, he was the guy guarding the ball handler, guarding the alley-oop thrower, and was able to still get back and contest the thrunk, it was amazing. And you might say, oh, we got posterized. Who gives a shit? The fact that he was able to get in position to get posterized is what you should be paying attention to. Now, I do worry about some efficiency stuff with Wemba early on. He had 18 and 10 with four blocks and 53% true shooting. I think there are going to be some efficiency problems first season for him. I don't know where I will have him projected yet. I think his numbers. I, look, he could legitimately average 2.7 blocks as a rookie. I worry about some of the games played stuff for him. I worry about some of the shooting stuff. But I think he's, yeah. You know, he had 18 and 10 here with four blocks. If he has 18 and 10 with 2.5 blocks, it's probably really fine. I think that's what he could do. I think he, he's going to have. We compare him to Wembe as we talked with Dan Titus the other day. Much higher usage than Chet. He showed way more passing ability than I thought he had as well. That was what impressed me. And that, again, furthers my value, valuation of Wemby as a you know, top three dynasty startup player. If he can get 25 and 10 with four assists and three blocks and two threes, that's not outrageous. Offense is a long way to go. Way more than defense. But I thought he flashed everything that we needed outside of just having two crazily good games. Because the first one, offensively, it was bad. The second one was great. And defensively, he was awesome. I loved it. Don't panic at all. How about Julian Champagne? He was was great as well. I don't really know where he fits in the rotation given they also acquired Reggie Bullock and Chetty Osman. But Champagne's only 22. He averaged 20 points a game in 28 minutes. He shot 37% from three, struggled with his two-point shooting, but he just looked good. And he looked good down the stretch last season as well. There's no real rotation role here, but if they did the right thing and traded Kelton Johnson, which I think they should, but they won't, Champagne's a rotation NBA player. It just don't know that it happens this season. I'm including Dominic Barlow on this, even though he's not on a roster. I don't know why he's not on a roster, but he's good. 16-8, 1.6 16 and 8, 1.6 blocks, 61% field goal percentage. I thought the fact how well he played next to Victor Wembenyama was very interesting. Makes me further confident that they're going to play Collins and Wembenyama together. And Barlow could be a guy that is a long-term pairing, maybe, with Victor. I think that he is maybe is not a long-term NBA starter in that he's a top 15 or top 20 NBA center, but he will have some starts in his career, and I, I think he's going to be a pretty good player. I'm still not convinced. Totally offensively. He's still got some some limitations, but he was I thought he was really good and should be on a roster somewhere. So Jabari Rice shot 18% from three. His value is in being a three-point shooter, but he didn't bring that. He averaged three and a half steals. He's a two-way guy. There's a long path for him to get there. It's just a long way away. I think the two first-round picks from last season, Malachi Branham, scored 21 a game. He, uh, in four games, he had just horrible efficiency, though. Just 50% true shooting. I think he shot one of 19 in one of those games. So that skews some of his stuff. His value comes from getting a lot of shots. And with Vassell and Calden and an increased role maybe for Sohan and Wembenyama, I don't really know where Branham is going to get those shots from. And if you are running a team where Branham is your number one offensive option, I think you're a really bad team, which is always going to limit his overall production. And then Blake Wesley was horribly inefficient again. He was better than he was last summer league, but man, 13-6-4 on... three-point shooting, and what is his true shooting? 44% true shooting. I really worry about the efficiency for him. I think he's got some passing ability. I think he can be maybe a backup point guard, but man, that was really bad. And then City Sissoko, just absolutely invisible offensively. Four points, 10 usage. Defensively, I think he's all right, 0.9 blocks. Passing was okay. He's not going to play a huge amount this season as a second-round guy. I do like him as a player, but the complete lack of involvement offensively was a little bit worrying not getting too caught up in it because he performed at a decent level in the G League last season, but he's never going to be a usage player. And we know, especially in points leagues, that's one of those things that really does impact your overall production. And that will do it for me today. That is the end of the first three divisions for Summer League Recap. I'm going to try and churn out the other three tomorrow. Hope you guys have enjoyed this. Just getting this stuff out before we look into some other stuff next week. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the order And If you're on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.